The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Tax is complex. Solutions shouldn't be. Supporting your business with integrated tax solutions to drive sustainable growth. At PwC, it all adds up to the new equation. Visit pwc.ie forward slash tax. Hello and welcome to Inside Politics, the weekly and indeed nowadays more than weekly podcast about politics from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy, sitting in this week for Hugh Linehan. Well, it's the day after Budget 2023. This morning across Dublin, we'll see budget breakfasts and budget briefings abound as interest groups, NGOs, think tanks and commercial interests like banks, investment houses and stockbrokers all try to make sense of the package of measures unveiled yesterday by Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. It was by any standards a huge budget, the biggest giveaway to citizens ever seen. But it comes against an extremely difficult background of rampant inflation and economic forecasts from the Department of Finance, which are predicting that things will get worse before they get better. So let's have an inside politics look at Budget 2023. Is it big enough? Is it too big? Will it work economically and politically? And is there more to come? To pick it all apart, I'm joined by Shanna Cohen, the director of TASC, a think tank that advocates for social change, Shortly, hopefully, by our managing editor and resident economics guru, but not technology guru, Cliff Taylor, and by my esteemed colleague on the political staff, Jack Horgan-Jones. As Pascal Donoghue might say, hello, everybody. Jack, for those who have recently returned from the moon, would you briefly run through the main features and tell us how it's been received last night and this morning? So very briefly, Pat, it's a, it's a bonanza, um, a budget day bonanza, 11 billion euros in total measures split between 4.1 billion on once-off measures, uh, a figure that more or less quadrupled in the last four to six weeks and another 6.9 billion on permanent measures and thrown in for a good measure is another 300 million euro from the contingency reserve fund. So the budget within the budget approach was obviously well flagged um, with the mix of short term and permanent measures. And what else was well flagged was almost everything in the budget. It, it all it all leaked out in the, the, the days and weeks leading up to uh, yesterday. And then on Monday, the very uh, little that wasn't already out uh, came out in a big flurry of news. So the main bits to start with the once off measures, the most eye-catching or perhaps not the most eye-catching but the one that we knew least about beforehand and perhaps the one that tells us the most about how nervous that government has gotten in the last little while is the the TBES, the Temporary Business Energy Support Scheme, which will pay up to €10,000 a month for uh, smaller firms who are struggling to, to meet the cost of their electricity bills. Um, that'll come in at a cost of around a billion euro. And the reason why I think it tells us a little bit more about the, the government's nervousness is because a few weeks ago they were briefing that nothing like this was even under consideration until uh, the middle of summer when the, the mood music really started to disimprove and nerves began to fray in government and they shifted from a kind of crisis footing to an emergency footing, which I think has conditioned a lot of the response and conditioned the scale that, that we've seen them deploy resources at. So elsewhere on the uh, on the once-off side, we have the 600 your own electricity credits split across three payments, a whole host of lump sums paid to welfare recipients, so 400 euro for fuel allowance recipients, 
uh, double week in cost of living support payments to social welfare recipients. So a Christmas bonus in October, then the Christmas bonus itself, 500 euros for people on working family payment, double double child benefit for everyone in November, 500 euro for people on carers, uh, 200 euro for those on living alone allowance uh, before Christmas. Uh, a lot on student contributions. I mean, literally, you could you could go on. When Michael McGrath stood sure, stood up to sure. give his speech and this and the doll yesterday, I actually I couldn't keep up with with what he was saying, and I'm a fairly fairly fast typer. Uh, on the permanent side, I mean, the 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 big the big thing is is an income tax package worth around one point one billion. Uh, the most eye catching thing there, forty thousand euros, is the, is the new entry point for um, the higher rate of tax, which is something that Fine Gael have been pushing for. There's been some pushback against that. And then on the on the welfare side, the the biggest measure is the twelve euro increase uh, in core social welfare payments, which I suppose is, is again, indicative of the scale of the challenge because it's such a big increase, but also indicative of, of the fact that, you know, the government may throw a lot of money at this, but it may ultimately not be um, equal to the task at hand because uh, it's been already the subject of, of some criticism. Uh, I mean, you know, as I said, we could go on. It's a massive budget. There's a huge amount in there. I, su- I, suggest, I suggest that anyone who wants to read a fuller version, log on to irishtimes.com. Ah, very good, Jess. Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, you had the unenviable task of getting up long before the crack of dawn this morning to run through the morning papers and produce the morning politics digest. Just briefly, how would you characterise the reception of it in the uh, papers this morning? Well, if you look at the three broadsheets, ourselves, the the Indo and the Examiner, it's all focused on the scale of things and um, all focused on that big number, 11 billion. Uh, and and what its intended outcome is, which is obviously to to backstop firms uh-huh. and homes and households. And what I think that tells us is that none of the criticisms, and there are valid criticisms of this budget, but none of them have managed to to bridge that budget day gap between being a, a talking point for you know a jilted kind of stakeholder or interest group or for the opposition to being a full blown. Um, budget controversy. So you know, there, there, there's the the surcharge on concrete blocks. That's been the the, the building industry has been critical of that. The fairly paltry measures for landlords. Uh, the vacant homes tax, which looks to be nearly entirely toothless. Um, the 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 surprise for the GPs of of hundreds of thousands of extra people getting free access to their services. All of these are valid criticisms, as well as the aforementioned issues around social welfare and the adequacy or otherwise of the the payments there. But none of those have become the budget day story. So I think for now. And, um, you know, the scale of this thing um, and and what that indicates about the scale of the challenge that's coming is, is the dominant narrative. Uh, whether that lasts, I suppose, remains to be seen. It's a bit of a truism at this stage. Uh, and I think that it's interesting already that you had Leo Varadkar in Morning Ireland on Wednesday morning this morning talking about potentially going uh, going again if needed. So I think that's that may be the, the space that we find ourselves in before the winter is out of things. Uh, if the risks turn out to the downside, as they say in the economics trade. Shanna, so what's your take on this? I see Sean uh, Healy of Social Justice Ireland this morning, a pretty strong statement out calling for aspects of the budget to be reversed. And he says that the gap between rich and poor will be widened by the budget. What's your view? He was calling for that beforehand, before the budget. That I think in general, the voluntary sector wanted a larger increase than 12 euros. That that wasn't acceptable. I think that that's not actually going to alleviate the problems. They were looking for 20 euro, as I understand it, on basic social welfare rates. Yeah, that's right. I think that the problem in general is that nobody knows what's coming. And so you don't know, as somebody said um, at a European level, you don't know what the weather is going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. So you don't know how much all this is going to cost. And I think that that from listening to the same interview with Varadkar, that is 
the fear that the, this budget is dominated by anxiety about we don't know what's coming. The problem, I think, for the voluntary sector in general, and if you're looking at poverty or just general inequality in Ireland, is that the budget doesn't have much vision. It's a, it's a let's throw some money. Like, you know, you were talking this figure and that figure and this, you lose track of all the figures, but there's no vision and there's no kind of, okay, we're going to, we're going to invest 10 million in solar panels or we're going to make sure that there's more capacity amongst GPs because yes, they will have more patients. In addition to Ukrainian refugees, they're going to have more patients who have access to the medical card. So we need to make sure that there are more doctors. There wasn't any kind of linking, okay, capacity with demand, or we're going to throw money at things, but actually we're also looking at long-term structural problems like a low-wage economy. They don't want to depend upon 10 com companies for their tax receipts, but what is this budget actually doing about that and how in doing something about that, are they going to make sure that people aren't on low wages, which would in turn make them more reliant upon state. And from your perspective, are we perhaps kind of too focused on the size of the package at this stage and a little unfocused on those sort of structural things? Because as you say, the budget, you know, it recognises the difficulties of low pay in Ireland, but it's not looking at why there is, you know, such a large low paid sector in Ireland or similarly with the, the, the corporation tax. Or are we expecting a bit too much from a budget, which is, I guess, produced under political conditions of great stress? I think it should have been somewhere in between. I think there is, to be totally fair, a lot of pressure on the government to help people in the very short term. And that's why they, you know, that's why the budget's in September. And that's why Varadkar this morning said, well, we're leaving two billion aside because we may have to come back to you um, in a couple of months. It may be too much. But on the other hand, without any kind of long-term vision, then we're going to keep having short-term budgets. We're not going to have the kinds of policies that really address the problems that Ireland is facing, like housing supply. Yeah, great. We're going to make it easier, slightly easier for renters, but inflation may gobble up that kind of that tax credit. And the problem is there just isn't enough housing. And there's, there's not enough housing, not just because the government's not investing enough, there aren't enough construction workers. And you've just put a tax on materials. So it's, it's, you need, the budget could have joined up better, the different elements of policy between, again, capacity and demand, that would have helped alleviate problems over the medium and long term. The fear is that you just could keep getting trapped in a short-term vision because the, because need is going to increase, not just because of the energy crisis now, but because of climate change over the next couple of years. We just don't know what's coming. So the government should be preparing for that kind of instability in the future. Cliff, um, let me turn to you and um, wearing your elegant economist's hat. What's your take on it, your first grab on it? And maybe you, you might describe the economic background that's laid out in some of the Department of Finance documents, which even though there wasn't much coverage of this yesterday, is, is pretty gloomy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It certainly is, Pat. And that's one of the really striking things about the budget I mean, often budgets don't surprise us because a lot of the stuff has been leaked in advance, as Jack was saying, no, and, and no more so than this year. But there was certainly some stuff in the budget documents that surprised me. One of the things was the extent of the cut in the forecast for economic growth next year. As we know, it's almost impossible to get a, a really accurate figure to sum up the Irish economy, such as the problem in terms of, of, of measurement caused by the uh, multinationals. But the Department of Finance says that domestic demand 
could grow by just over 1% next year. That's pretty much equivalent to the economy flatlining. Then the second surprising figure is they're saying that inflation next year could be 7% or over 7%. So you're looking at what economists call stagflation, if that is the case, a stagnant, a period of stagnant economic growth and very high inflation. Uh, and with that comes, I think, significant political dangers for the government. The, the second thing, I suppose, that, that continues to surprise us all is the, is the strength of tax revenues, which has given the ministers for finance and public spending a lot of leeway in this budget. I mean, it's astonishing to think the amount of money they threw out, still being able to budget for a surplus, still being able to plan to put aside uh, two billion this year and four billion next year, and put aside a lot of other money in contingency funds and various other rabbit holes that they can pull money out of next year if they need to. And then I, I guess. Reflecting on it this morning um, and listening again, uh, Shanna and uh, Jack have spoken about Leo Varadkar, but I think there is a realisation in government they're likely to have to go back to the well next year. They're throwing a huge amount of money out, but most of that money is going to land later this year and, and in the early months of next year in, in the case of the energy credits. I mean, there are some ongoing measures too, but a vast amount of the cash for households will go into people's pockets this year. And the problem is if energy prices stay at their current levels or, or rise higher next year and general inflation remains high, can the government stand by if households are worse next year because they're not getting the one-off payments than they are this year? And I don't think that's going to be politically practical. So I suspect Pascal Donoghue, although who knows where he'll be uh, job-wise next next year, wasn't too pleased with how quickly Leo Varadkar uh put up the white flag on his National Reserve Fund saying that it might be spent next year. And I suspect that actual pot of money isn't the pot of money the government would intend to use first if it does need to go to the well again. There is a budget surplus for next year. There are some other contingency funds set by. But whatever way you look at it, there is a bag of money that can be spent next year to do something similar in terms of, of once-off measures. As Shanna said, the longer-term question politically then is, you know, eating bread is soon forgotten uh, and you get back to the old political kind of questions of what you do about housing, what you do about health. And I guess the real questions of delivery and delivering those things. Uh, and if there was kind of a a moment of when the opposition seemed to land a blow uh, yesterday was when, when Sinn Féin were talking about housing and the government's housing policy uh, and delivery and, and what it was doing for renters. Um, and you have the same old questions this year about, you know, why can't we build the amount of houses that we're targeting to build. Um, so that that was my initial take on it. Yeah, as far as I can figure out, I think the deal within government between Donoghue and McGrath and everybody else, their leaders including, was that they would go to the maximum on what they were prepared to spend in this budget. So, you know, the, the 7 billion bit of it which was, I suppose, supposed to be 6.7 billion, but grew to 7 billion. That bit of it was agreed and set and capped in, uh, or almost capped in July. At that point, it was envisaged around government, without anybody putting hard numbers on it, that the uh, the once-off measures, the, the, the cost of living measures, would be about a billion. And over the course of the few months since that, since from July until yesterday, the size of that package has has grown. And we saw yesterday it, it topped out at 4.1 billion. And it 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 grew in response, I think, to to two things. One, 
was the growing need, growing prices, energy hikes by all the energy companies, eye-watering, uh, of eye-watering amounts. And, and, and secondly, this growing surplus, the fact that so the, there was this, you know, very acute and obvious need for government help and there was the emerging resources uh, to, to, to do so. But I think the price for, for agreeing that sort of maximalist budget, and I suppose 11 billion was very much at the upper end of, for all the leaking, what any of us had anticipated uh, over, the, over the past week. But the price for going to the max on that was to establish this, uh, or to su- supercharge for the, the rainy day fund, putting 2 billion into it next year, 4 billion uh, into it, uh, 2 billion this year and 4 billion next year. And I just wonder what you think, Cliff, about whether that bargain endures if you're in a similar situation in the spring of next year. And, you know, we see that the business energy supports, they're only due to last until February. Does anybody really think that it's, you know, they won't be required uh, after February? And, you know, we asked Pascal Donahue this last night at the um, uh, at the press conference and, you know, his response was that, you know, well, you know, there was, uh, that there would be, it was anticipated that there would be EU support with an EU-wide uh, windfall tax if there wasn't, and this was in his budget speech yesterday as well, that the government would take action uh, on it. And beyond that, then, there was a, a surplus. And you could see how reluctant he was to consider the notion that, you know, that the rainy day fund would be tapped next year before the, the $4 billion goes into it, all of which is incredibly long-winded uh, way of asking, what do you think? Yeah, first of all, Pat, I have to correct you because they're very uptight now by calling it the rainy day fund because they feel politically that is not a good thing because everyone will say, it's lashing already, give us the money. So it is now the National Reserve Fund uh, and must be called that in future. I'll bear that in mind, thank Absolutely, you. Absolutely, yes. But I think you're right in terms of next year and, and that is that is the problem. I mean, they're going, I suppose, on the COVID playbook and the COVID playbook was to introduce temporary supports with a view to extending them maybe once or twice if needed, but in the certainty that in time they would be able to phase them out. So that's that's the playbook that they felt worked last time, and that's the playbook that's been pulled out this time. And in a, in a way, you can't blame them because nobody has a clue what's going to happen You know, next week, next year. There's all, among the, the factors spoken about in the run-up to the budget on a budget day were you know, uncertainties about the European weather, uh, being a big factor in gas prices next year, uh, this complicated plan that the EU has to to delink electricity and gas prices, which could make a difference to wholesale gas prices, although no one is quite sure how it'll work or how quickly it might work. The windfall tax, which is the whole thing, is which has turned into a bit of a mess at European level. Perhaps they'll be able to rescue it. I think there's a meeting this week. So a lot of uncertainties, and you know, things could be, things could look a bit better early next year. Who knows? But the odds must be that gas prices, whatever about petrol and diesel prices, which may come down, gas prices look set to remain high. If gas prices remain high, then electricity prices are going to remain high. So the government could well be back in the same the same problem this year uh, or next year as, as it finds itself in this year uh, and, and under intense pressure, I think, to go to the well again in terms of once-off payments. And then the question... I think raises itself next year if 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 fossil fuel prices are still high. Well, is this you know is this the way it's, it's going to be for the next two or three years, 
how are we going to deal with this in terms of supporting businesses and households through this? Nobody really knows, but that must be a possibility now. And th- I think that is one of the reasons why they would have wanted to put so many buffers into the into the public finances over the next few years because of all those uncertainties. And just finally on that point, Cliff, I mean, I suppose the political reality is that if this difficulty and uncertainty endures, that you know the government will be called upon to continue these supports. And it can do that as long as corporation tax, income tax keep rolling in. If it has the surpluses to do it, if it doesn't have those, then you're talking about borrowing. And that's a completely different scenario, right? It is, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the forecast they've made for next year and even, even the year after, the, the, the public finances are in a really good position, bar the very high level of national debt, which is lurking there in the background. So they do have firepower and they do have leeway. And the situation here is completely different from the UK, where they've just had to plan to sell a whole load more government debt to fund their programme, and that spooked the markets. They should have leeway here, certainly for next year, to do whatever needs to be done. But I suppose there's two questions. And one is, you know, how long does this all last? And the second, and this is a hard one to forecast with any kind of accuracy, or, but what happens when the economy turns? What happens to income tax when the economy turns? And the Department of Finance does believe that the economy has started to turn already, that growth is slowing, uh, that while the multinational sector remains strong, consumer spending is inevitably going to take a hit. Europe, the US could be heading for a recession. What in the middle of next year, say, or towards the end of next year, looking out to the next year's budget, are the implications of that for the Irish public finances. And if you have a combination of that and energy prices remaining high, as you say, you have a more, you could have a tougher, uh, you could have tougher choices to make, I, I think, than, than this year when um, corporation tax pretty much bailed them out. Okay, great. Look, we're going to come back to some of that. But first, we're going to have a quick break. Uh, so stay with us. And you're very welcome back to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy. I'm joined to discuss yesterday's budget by Shanna Cohen from the Think Tank Task, by our own Jack Horgan Jones and by Cliff Taylor. Uh, Shanna, I want to ask you about the longer term politics of all this shortly. But firstly, Jack, let me turn to you and, and, and talk about the more immediate politics of this. There's obviously a number of objectives uh, in the budget. But an important one, particularly for Fine Gael, is to help what it would view as the hard-pressed, squeezed middle. It's how, how do the politics of that work for them, do you think? Well, it's, like, it's a core part not only of their uh, last manifesto, um, but of the whole kind of Fine Gael um, political philosophy, is uh you know to to deliver on the kind of the low tax uh low income tax approach high economic growth and all the rest of it so moving towards the um the political promise that they made uh during the last election to um move the entry to the higher rate of income tax towards fifty thousand euros a year uh is important for them and and they've achieved it and I think they've probably achieved it in a fairly tangible way as well i mean you know most um Married couples who earn uh, forty thousand euros a year each will uh, will see a combined aggregate household benefit of of sixteen hundred euros a year, which I think is 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 pretty tangible. Um, so I think that they'll they'll view that as as an achievement, um, and I think that you know there there is valid criticism perhaps over you know whether it is correct to point that piece of financial firepower 
at middle-income households, but uh, Pascal Donahue would argue back to that and was doing so at length yesterday that the nature of the current crisis, and, and this is a convenient cloak perhaps for, for those those longer-term secular aims that, that Fine Gael hopes to achieve on income tax, but he would argue that, you know, that the nature of the current crisis is such that it's affecting all households, and um, perhaps not evenly, but uh, that, that middle-income decile, um, or deciles rather, that don't receive uh, welfare transfers are also being pushed to the pin of their collar. So, you know, I think that helped the, the case for them. And I, I think they'll, they'll be seen to, to deliver on that to, to a greater or lesser extent. One of the things that struck me yesterday was the extent to which, you know, in the Sinn Féin speeches and some of the other opposition speeches, well, they were welcoming many aspects of the budget. You know, they were saying, you know, they didn't go far enough or they wouldn't have done it this way or they wouldn't have done it that way. But I suppose there's, there's a couple of ways of, 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 of looking at that. But one of them might be that, you know, that, Sinn Féin, broadly, also other elements of the opposition are, are kind of setting the agenda in some ways now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, the, the the overall stance of recent years has been towards growing the state and greater state intervention. That's kind of been coloured by um, responding to crises as opposed to a, a purposeful shift. But that does seem to be the, the wider trend within Irish politics, perhaps even within within European politics or or, or you know advanced uh, democracy politics, um, I think you're right. Like the the, the response from Sinn Fein, um, it was interesting hearing Mairead Farrell, uh, the public expenditure and reform spokeswoman on on the radio this morning, and she was conceding that you know Sinn Fein welcomed chunks of the part of of, of the budget. Pierce Doherty last night on prime time was kind of leaning towards the core part of the Sinn Fein narrative, which is that you know the, this current government and Fine Gael in particular is providing for insiders and providing for the better off. And he was talking about the parts of the budget that could be construed as doing that. But I suspect that, that Sinn Féin instinctively know that this is not a budget that leaves the government massively vulnerable. What it does do, though, um, or what the, the, the wider kind of economic environment does do, is um, it accentuates the structural problems that make the, the government fundamentally weak to attack um, by Sinn Féin. So if we take, for example, housing, right, um, we have, they have not, and mainstream politics has not made sufficient progress on the housing question uh, in a decade or more. And the current crisis, much like the last crisis, the COVID crisis, compounds that. If you look at the um, the rather doom laden economic and fiscal forecast that or outlook rather that was published yesterday, they start to, they're, they're talking about how the housing market is beginning to show signs of slowing. Cliff mentioned this as well. You look at how the uh, the cost of living crisis or the inflation crisis affects that. You're looking at higher input costs, a tighter labour market, all these things make that longer-term housing crisis harder to, to solve, to which the Sinn Féin diagnosis is, this is mainstream politics. Mainstream politics has let you down. And the, the, the rolling nature of crises confronted by the government for the last two and a bit years really means that, uh, you know, A, the issues they face have been compounded. COVID compounded the housing crisis, just to, file, just to focus on that narrative for the time being, as is the inflation crisis. They're also distracted from, you know, long-term uh, problem from from long-term strategic solutions. So while I think that the last few years have, have proven that the state or the government or whatever you want to, whatever frame you want to put it, is effective at responding to crises a bit and deploying massive amounts of of capital to help households deal with them, crisis management is not really a long-term strategy, and you know their inability or the uh, impossibility, perhaps, of solving 
problems in health and housing and all the rest of it remains a strategic vulnerability for the government and a strategic strength for Sinn Féin. So even though this this budget probably isn't a weakness for the government, long term, you know, the, the, the trend probably remains unaffected. Shanna, it seems to me that the, the, the sort of political centre of gravity has drifted leftwards in the last number of years. Now, even if much of that has been, as Jack says, in response to the crisis management that was necessary in uh, in government, the state is expanding, there continues to expand yesterday, there's a, uh, a, you know, if you look at the balance of tax cuts versus spending increases yesterday, which is, you know, one of the matrices by which you might judge where on the ideological spectrum a government is, no matter what it says, looking at what it does. And, you know, that's whatever, 10 to 1 uh, in favour of spending I- increases. What, what do you think of that thesis? I think it's somewhat true, but not completely true. I, if you look at, like, um, the Irish government's response in comparison to the UK's response, where they're not going to give handouts, they're going to cap, but they don't want to give handouts because that's against their ideological position and they'd rather borrow than tax business. That That is a very much a, a right, you would say, a right-wing position, and that's not what the Irish government is positioning itself. So you would say, okay, in relationship to that, then it is more, it's leaning left. The problem is, is going back to the issues that keep getting raised here is that there's no vision. There's no like, this is where we see where we're going. And that is what I would say would be a true leftward or just a progressive alternative. If if I sort of prefer that vocabulary, for instance, if we're going to go back to the UK again, Keir Starmer's suggestion of a national energy company, that's a, okay, that's a bold idea. Let's do that. Because if you look at the energy market here, the, one of the reasons it can impose a cap is you have these small providers. There have been four providers who've exited the market recently because they just can't afford to offer services in Ireland. And if you put a cap on them, those companies are going to go out of business because they won't make a profit because they can't afford to buy energy. So in the UK, they're going to borrow to substitute. But the, the market here is a bit of a mess. So should should the government be thinking boldly, and that would be a progressive alternative about how the, the energy, the competition amongst the companies here in Ireland, is it, or is this like childcare? It's another kind of like, you have big private chains here and then you have a bit of community care. The public really wants the community care. They want easy childcare that they can access. They also need childcare workers. They need to make the profession more viable. Again, all of those policies, if the government had a vision, then that would be more to me progressive alternative, but it's sort of sticking to, from my perspective, to the middle of the road. Let's hand out, let's manage the crisis, but we're not going to have the big, bold vision because I think they're a bit afraid of it, um, to be really frank. I think that that would require more ambition and more risk to say, actually, this is where we're going to go and this is the kind of policy alternative they were offering because that's different from what they've been doing in the past. But it's also necessary because you don't want, and, and this is nothing to do with any political party, but you don't want necessarily the populist alternative because if you look at the trend is is not toward advanced democracies. It's actually toward Italy and Hungary and Poland where you have democracy or even the Republican Party in the U.S. We really need a kind of a progressive alternative that includes, that has vision of what the future is 
what the government's trying to construct in the future and the policies that will lead us there. I, so that's why I sort of disagree with the left word. I, I think it's, an, it's crisis management that is to alleviate immediate problems, but it doesn't have that underlying strategy. And are we in a sort of kind of ideological never never land on that expansion of the state? Because the you know the traditional European social democratic model has been that you know you have a, a strong state that is funded by relatively high taxes, but there's no appetite for higher taxes here. Even stepping outside you know the current kind of crisis paradigm, there's no appetite for higher taxes here, and we can. We can and have expanded the state, but we've done it on the back of these remarkable corporation tax uh, receipts. And so, you know, I suppose people are getting a a bigger state, but without the taxes that would traditionally and probably over the longer term would be required to pay for it. I think that the state has to expand its tax base to other, I mean, it just needs to expand um, where it's getting money from. And that has to be something that it addresses. And the only way to do that is to help domestic business. And that's sort of to build, like Ireland historically has low value added in domestic, um, small and medium sized enterprises. And it needs to kind of think about that. There needs to be, how can we help businesses become more productive and actually pay more tax? And then they might, regardless of the tax commission, the report they need, they're going to, the the response to it, they're going to need to think about alternative ways of taxing, of raising income. Schlant to care, I think, is critical for the health of any political party. Whichever political party is going to be able to advance with offering a good public health care system, I think, is going to be the party that does well in the future. And I I mean, Sinn Féin talks is focused on housing and I lesser, to my my impression, lesser extent, Schlant to care. But like if you want to alleviate the cost of living in the short and long term, then other things besides energy bills have to be reduced. So they're reducing the cost of transportation, but you also have to have access to public transportation. They're reducing the cost of healthcare, but you have to have access to a GP and you have to have access to diagnostic services within a hospital. So in order to do that, as you say, you have to pay for it, but that means expanding the tax base in different forms of tax. A clip finally, just returning to the bigger picture, um, I mean, you've been around this block for hundreds of years. Um, is, is this is this kind of the most uncertain or threatening environment that you've ever seen budget making done in? Yeah, it probably is. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, well, I suppose the financial crisis was pretty ropey as well. And uh, while we didn't quite know it, while well, uh, the 2008 or 2009 budgets were were being um, were being put together this this huge bomb about to explode in the banks uh, so that was that was pretty ropey as well and i think in terms of kind of a real question about the future of the state's solvency if you like um you'd have to put that at top of, at the top of the list but this is internationally when you look at situation in you in yeah. europe now and what's going yeah. on in 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 the uk you know the imf warning the uk sure. last night uh, about its budgetary strategy, it's yeah, it is pretty remarkable. And uh, as we've spoken about, you know, there's a war going on. Uh, the consequences of it remain hugely uncertain and uh, impossible to predict. Uh, and our nearest neighbour is in uh, is in is in big trouble. And while you know we might look like to look over there and say, look, aren't we great? We're managing things a lot better. Uh, trouble in the UK is not is not good news for Ireland. It's still a big market for our small companies. There's still a lot of 
financial and economic links between the two sides. Uh, obviously, we don't share a currency anymore and we've diversified and our members of the euro now would give us a lot of a lot of protection. Uh, but bad news in Britain is not bad. It's not good news in Ireland. And, you know, I, I think it does seem that budgets these days are not set anymore. Uh, I mean, there was a day when the, a few years ago when the minister would get up in October and the budget, that would be the budget for the year and nothing would ever change. Uh, but since COVID, I suppose budgets seem to be redrawn every few months. Uh, and the government, I think, hoped that as, co- as COVID drew to a close, we were coming back to some kind of normality and maybe hoped that they could finally make some ground addressing some of the things that Jack and Shanna have been talking about, the, you know, the real pinch points uh as to why they're losing ground to Sinn Féin, that the health, the housings. Uh, but they've been thrown into this crisis again. And I have little doubt but that this budget is going to be with, redrawn, uh, or, or the measures at least are going to be recalibrated next year, maybe one, a couple of times. Well, we'll we'll know who to come back to when they are. So uh, with that, uh, my thanks. That'll do us for this morning. We'll be back on Friday with our Friday catch-up. Uh, but uh, my thanks to Jack Horgan-Jones, to Shanna Cohen of Task, and to the inestimable Cliff Taylor. This morning was produced by Declan Collin. JJ Vernon was on sound. And that's all for now.